this is it's kind of emotional because uh this is it's gonna be my last uh uh scripture reading and and first of all, I just want to thank everyone uh in redemption that <laughs> that loved me. You know, that prayed for me. <laughs> um, well, I'll be reading from uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 uh, to 13. Uh, this is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and, and access with confidence through our faith him. so I ask <laughs> um, Frank for you which is your glory this is the word of the Lord you may be sure Amen. Thank you, Sharif. Man, love you, brother. Um, yeah, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And um, if you're new or have never heard me preach before, I want to say um, welcome and also give you all a, a heads up that I have a speech impediment. It'll kind of come in and out as we go. And um, it's not allergies, though that's been really bad lately. Am I all alone in that? Um, also, yeah, yeah, man, uh, Sharif, again, just thank you for that. I got to watch Sharif graduate on Friday. It was a real honor, and great to meet your family. Yeah, very proud of you and thankful for you. Um, man, these emotions trying to come up. I'm just trying to keep them down, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, and, uh, yeah, again, as, as was said earlier, happy Mother's Day. Um, if uh, you're, for everyone in here, I, I know Jake um, said that uh, earlier, and I just want to kind of reiterate just to everyone in here who is a mom, who has been a mom, who functions as a mom in many ways, we uh, are thankful for you and say happy Mother's Day to you. And um, again, we have a, a kind of some fl fl flowers out there. It's kind of a make your own bouquet type deal. And um, that's, uh, again, if you uh, function in the role of mom in any way, um, please, please uh, get one of those. And, and we want to love, love on you and honor you in that way. And um, yeah, this is just, again, happy Mother's Day. We, we know this can be a, a difficult or celebratory time and in for many of us it's some of each some of both i didn't expect myself to get really emotional during the uh time of worship just that was a gift um yeah you know some some of you guys uh yeah no um again that i mean that really wasn't like for me in you know any way but um yeah i was just the, the Lord really, really, um, yeah, just brought to mind for me his grace in my life through that. I, uh, you know, some of you guys know I uh, moved from uh, San Diego to Arkansas when I was almost 12. So that's actually why I'm crying. It was really, really, really difficult cultural <laughs> transition. <laughs> but no, <laughs> no, <laughs> not to hate on Arkansas. Um,
But it was a big transition. But my mom really moved us there um, in, for, in, in many ways to love myself and my older brother well. And we moved there, and we um, kind of didn't know what we were doing. We are in Arkansas, didn't even speak the language. And, um, <laughs> and we went to a church, and it was a predominantly African-American church. And that was really where I grew in my faith and was baptized. And, um, you know, I had to quote Lecrae, if you've ever heard of him. I was a, a drug baby because my mom drug me to church. Um, she did. She, she went out and, and found, uh, found this church, and, and, uh, and, and next Sunday was like, you're coming with me, and uh, God really just, uh, yeah, just kind of grew me uh, in, that, in that context. So anyway, uh, yeah, so happy Mother's Day, and uh, let's pray. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, even as we just sung, you are great, and uh, thank you for your, your faithfulness, and um, Lord, yeah, thank you for a um, um, motion, um, even, yeah, thank you for Sharif going there emotionally and not giving me space to try to stuff it down like I would have preferred. Um, so, yeah, thank you for your church. Thank you that I get to be a part of it. Lord, again, we thank you. Thank you for moms. Thank you that you're present, Lord, wherever we are, wherever um, any of us in this room, that we can weep with those who are weeping. Um, Lord, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and do some of each um, where necessary. So, Lord, we pray this will be a, a, a worshipful time, um, not only in singing, but in your word. And uh, Holy Spirit, pray that you would oversee our time right now. We pray that um, you would help me uh, you know, not, not be able to communicate. And um, again, we, uh, we love you, we need you, and uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I forgot to hand out um, or ask you who needs a Bible. Go ahead and get one, okay? We are going to um, turn around a couple places. It's not all going to be on the screen. So if you need a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you one. Y en español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en Efesios, um, capítulo 3, versículo 11. And so, um, again, if you don't own a Bible, please keep this, okay? It's our gift to you. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and follow along with and make their own, um, okay? And again, we're going to be looking around here a bit this morning as we get into our time because um, in verse 11, as, uh, as we just read, um, he, he says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And as is always important when we're reading through scriptures to know what came before, what came after, where are we in this time. Um, just kind of not to steal from next week, all right, too much, but if you look ahead to verse 14, Paul says, for this reason, and then he goes on, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, and he goes into a time of prayer. And um, if you look back, okay, he says, for this reason, look all the way back to chapter 3, verse 1, he begins the same way. For this reason, I, Paul, and then he goes on on a little kind of a, a little tangent, all right? A lot of people, a lot of commentaries think that um, he was about to go into a time of prayer and then kind of hit like, 
time out and then went on this, like, what is it, 12 or so verse, or 13 verse kind of side, sideways trip and then came back to it. Well, why did he do that? Did he have ADD? I don't know. He may have. Um, you know, some members of my home family have that. That's, you know, but did he just get confused and kind of go off on something? Well, again, sometimes you see that when the way Paul writes, there's a lot of freedom. He'll kind of say one thing and then break off and then go into it and then come back to it. And um, also, though, he saw this as an opportunity. As he began to pray, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and that reminded him of, of, of who God is and who he is. Right? And so for the last number of weeks, about three or four weeks, we've walked through this whole section of who are we as God's people in light of who he is and how he works, right? And what does that mean? And the big idea we've seen a lot is that God displays himself, he displays his character through us, through breaking down walls of division, through uniting us together as one people, and similarly, um, that God works in counterintuitive ways. All right, that in the economy of, of God's working, um, he often displays his strength and power through weakness. And just like in our day, that is countercultural. That's not the way people understand things. That's usually not the way somebody kind of struts their stuff it is, well, you know, let me tell you about weakness right now to show you how strong I am, right? That's not usually how we do it. Well, the same was true in their day. So the big idea as we now look at this that I want us to see is that, is that through Jesus' death, God's people have access to God. Specifically, as we'll see here, God's people can boldly and confidently have access to God through Jesus' death. And then similarly, through our suffering, God reveals his incredible glory. All right, and as you see here, that's how we have it broken down. That's how we're going to walk through this. So pick up with me again now that we kind of have our bearings. We understand where we are in this. As we see that through Jesus' death, counterintuitively, we have access to God. All right, let's read in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Okay, so Jesus, uh, the author here, Paul, has been talking constantly about, about uh, he, he again brought up the fact that he's a prisoner, and then later he'll talk about how he's suffering. And then again, this word there, this, as he goes on, he's been, he's been reciting and walking through the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, in short, in a nutshell. I'm not going to take as much time as we did last week walking through the full gospel, but it's again, essentially, that we're created by and for God, right, to reflect him as his image bearers, and then the reality of sin that we have all turned astray uh, individually and communally, that we are dead and desperate in our, in our trespasses, in our sin, because of our rebellion against our holy and righteous creator God, we are dead and helpless, and we've turned away and wandered, and then the good news is, but God, but God intervened and sent his son Jesus to live the life we were created and called to live, and then he died on a cross. And again, like, we can in our day think, oh, crosses are cool, they're great tattoos, they're great, you know, around your necklace, they look great on your, on your car, as little bumper stickers or whatever. Even some people wear them on their back 
pockets, right, with like rhinestones and jewels on them or whatever. That's what crosses are all about, right? No, this was like a shameful, um, so, like a combination between like an electric chair and a toilet in some way. In their culture, you would just see this thing and it was gross, it kind of made you want to look away, all right? Some people, in fact, younger kids weren't even allowed to look at a cross, all right? It was, it was ugly. And yet in that, we see the display of God's intervention and God's, God's glory and God's power put on display because Jesus didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. Amen? All right, we can, we can clap for that. Jesus rose from the dead. Amen, yes. And so there's like massive... Um, again, kind of counterintuitive tension here when in, in their day, especially where you're talking about this cross and then, and then you hear Jesus rose from the dead and, and then he, he ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he now currently presently sits ruling and reigning over all things and he promised to return to restore everything to the way it's supposed to be, all right? So that's the gospel, that's the good news, that's what, G, uh, what, what Paul here is reminding of and there's all kinds of interpersonal implications, right, which we've been hammering on about him breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between us and between us and God, right? Well, right now we see that, that, that emphasized, all right? We've really emphasized uh, the horizontal realities of it, amen? Now, now we're seeing the, the vertical realities of the dividing wall of hostility being broken down. The curtain of separation is now, is now torn in two, which was done from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross so that now we have direct access to God. And, and now, let's sit in that for a moment, okay? Like, we were just, we were just, praying together here right we were we were worshiping we're singing we're we're right there we're in god's presence right this is holy ground and and not to shame anyone i'm not gonna call anyone to raise their hand but how many of us were going in and out a little bit in our mind here and there how many of us were looking at our phones at all um, how many of us maybe thought, man, I can't wait to see the Cavs um, game, you know, l l later on today, Cavs-Celtics, you know, it's going to be good or more likely the Warriors and Rockets tomorrow, right? Um, like just thinking, wandering, whatever. Maybe some of you guys don't think about that stuff. Me, me neither. But, you know, you kind of, our minds wander and stuff. And so when we hear about having access to God, we can grow a little numb, a little complacent, it can be a little like, yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. Yeah, of course. I've got, I can pray whenever I want, right? I can pray when I'm driving. I can keep my eyes open, eyes closed. I can sleep. I can wake up. I can keep praying. I can fall asleep, wake up again. It's just cool. I can do whatever. Well, in this day, okay, before Jesus's incredible, scandalous work on the cross and resurrection, having access to God was something no one took lightly. All right, back in the Old Testament, we see this, right? When the very beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, right, they were able to walk with God. Well, what happened once sin entered the world? They were kicked out of the garden, right? They were ashamed. They were afraid. They couldn't have this direct relationship with God. And then even Moses, right, when he um, comes, when he interacts with God, he, he takes off his sandals and he's afraid and he's trembling. And God doesn't even like fully show himself to him. He's as, as a burning bush, right? The bush isn't being consumed. And, and, and Moses is like, man, I know what, what, what's going on here. God is holy and I shouldn't be here right now. 
I'm a sinful person, right? Isaiah, you, you see the same thing, and you see Elijah use the same kind of language, like I'm a sinful person among sinful people, and it constantly happens, okay? I could go on and on. You see this. You can't read the Old Testament without understanding God's holiness. So what does that mean for us right now? Hear me. Don't take prayer lightly. Let us not grow numb to the fact that through Jesus, we have access to God. Okay, again, in this day, in a Jewish and Gentile audience, especially the Jewish people, I love this, okay, because we don't, it's, it wasn't all easy for them. And, and I got to believe in this moment, like the Jews are kind of looking around at the Gentiles as they're hearing this read audibly, publicly, like, hey, hey, we get this, all right? I know there's a lot we don't get, and we're getting kind of called out on it. We get this right here. Okay, because in, 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 in this, in, in temple Judaism, when the high priest once a year would enter the Holy of Holies and would be in God's presence, there was a little bell attached to him, right? Like a goat or a cow would have. And there was a rope attached to their ankle in case they had unconfessed sin or for whatever reason they were struck dead by being in God's presence then the people would know, like, hey, it hasn't come out of there. Kind of, you know, jingle the bell, the rope, you know, and kind of pull them out, right? That kind of idea. So it was serious business to be in God's presence. So in, in our day right now, what do we do with that? We understand that through Jesus' death, we have access to God. And what that doesn't mean is what we tend to do is we tend to maybe have a lower view of God. We, we have such a, an understanding. We get it so much that we can go before God whenever we want. We can pray whenever we want. We can, we can say, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. We can begin prayers just very freely. We don't have to, you know, use this holy voice or anything like that, right? It's, we don't have to do that. In fact, we shouldn't do that. We come honestly, authentically before him. And that doesn't mean we bring God down. We lower our view of him. It means we elevate what it means that Jesus died, that Jesus hung on a cross and experienced, experienced um, division from his father so that you and I could experience acceptance and reconciliation. Okay, Jesus was rejected so that you could have bold confident access to almighty holy God so when we look at the cross let it let us let us pray that that would be what what wells up inside us that that is what God produces within us as we consider the cross and it doesn't just stay there but now it goes on about what that means for our lives okay the cross isn't just to remind us of what Jesus has done for us but now how we live this thing how we go about this Christian life together so now that we see that through our suffering and the cross is a symbol a reminder of suffering through our suffering God reveals his glory all right pick up with me in verse 13 so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Again, Paul here mentions suffering. Earlier, he mentioned that he's a prisoner. He's writing to a, a, a Greco-Roman context that, again, is in many ways a lot like ours. Um, 
If you were trying to, trying to, trying to, if you were like about to go into a fight and your resume was being read, right? As some of you maybe watch boxing and other, other barbaric things like that. You know, I have nothing to do with it. Um, and, and, you know, they always talk about how many knockouts there have been and how many wins and all these different things like that. Um, that's the way we would understand it. Yeah, of course, you're just gonna, you're gonna present all that stuff. But, but Paul mentions that he's a prisoner. He mentions that he's suffering. And in that context, a lot like ours, people would be scratching their head. That wouldn't elevate their view of God. All right? People would hear that and would think, well, if your God was killed on a cross by um, Romans, then their gods must be stronger than your God. That's the way people would understand it. But right? But God doesn't play by our rules. Amen? God doesn't, God doesn't just function in our, in our everyday society. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you're right. In this, in their culture, they go about it this way, so I better play by their rules too. I better, I better display myself and my character in the, in the way that everyone else around them in the world does. That's not what he does. So when Paul talks about this, he, he, he refers back to his suffering, again, all in light of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. You can't get away from that. So now as Paul refers to his own suffering, his own life, we see a couple things made clear here. We see through Paul's suffering that Christ is better and safer than external safety and comfort. And then we also see the glory of the cross on display as Paul suffers well. All right, so first, look with me here. Um, I'll have it up here on the screen, but we see Paul talk about how it's better and safer than external security and comfort to be in Christ. And his suffering uh, makes that clear, all right? And um, this is actually gonna be in um, 2 Corinthians chapter four. We see him talk about this, okay? So these are other things that Paul wrote where he kind of fleshes out this idea. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 and 17, here's what he says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All right, what we see here in Paul is what it looks like to suffer well. Okay, what this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean we turn a blind eye to sickness, to pain, to the reality of death, to, to sorrow, to weeping, right? That we just put on a happy face and give some kind of scriptural platitude and just pretend, oh, hey, it's, it's all easy. But what we see here is in the moment of, 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 of desperation and struggle and, and not having any answer on this according to this world, not being able to make sense of it, to still have a, a steadfastness, a foundational security because of Jesus' death and resurrection. What came to mind for me as I read this is someone that I got to meet, well, what is it, 2018. So almost exactly 18 years ago, I got to meet someone who became a friend, and then a couple years after I met him and his family, um, he was sharing about how his daughter had um, died in, by a, at the hands of a suicide bomber. 
And he had um, five kids and took his whole family to be in a, in a pretty war-torn place. And um, his daughter, they really loved this, this community. We talked about cross-cultural ministry. These people were clearly gifted and called, and they were living their lives in this way. And, um, and then the, 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 the result of that decision was right in their faces when they, when they got the call that their daughter was on the bus that a suicide bomber had, had, uh, had um, blown up. And they talked about this and wrestled through it and wept as they shared this story of, of grief and sorrow and it, they didn't dismiss it in any way and it was so good of them and powerful of them to be honest with their grief and with their pain. But something he said, I will never forget, as, as, as he was sharing the story and the interviewer said, you know, what do you do with that? How do you make sense of that? Are you guys going back? Like surely you're gonna stay here in the comforts of our own c- c- country now, right? And they said, no. This isn't our home. Said our first of all, it isn't our, our our earthly home. Our kids think other kids are weird here. They grew up, you know, over there. That's home. And he said, and, and then and then this isn't our ultimate home. And he said this. He said, I've found it to be true that the safest place is always at the center of God's will. So that's what it looks like to not not dismiss, to not pretend it's not difficult but to have a foundational uh, assurance that, 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 that physical safety and security is not where hope is truly found. But even amidst suffering, living out the, the reality, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is the safest place to be. And then um, we also see that, 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 the, that the joy and the triumph and the victory, the, the power of Jesus' death and resurrection is on display. Now look with me, um, and it's uncircumstantial. Okay, now look with me at Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. This is again also the author Paul. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. So he's been talking about his needs and his difficulty and his suffering. Okay, and then he goes on. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, though again, physically, r- r- in reality, he is, and he has been, right? He needs stuff, and he's talking about it. But then he goes on, and he talks about a greater foundational reality that informs who he is and how he goes about his life. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, now some of you guys are scratching your head like, whoa, whoa, I thought that was all about sports, right? I thought Philippians 4.13 is just about sports. I am guilty, okay? I have that written on every sporting thing. I, I did swim for a year. I don't know that I found a way to like write that on a spumpito, but still like anything I could write on, shoes, cleats, whatever, I wrote Philippians 4.13. And really though, what this is saying is, um, is not, I can wreck you, I'm gonna win this, God's gonna bless me and let me win the game and have my hand held up because I've got this verse written on my shoes. What it actually means is, even if I get crushed by you, I'm ultimately okay. Okay, and I think God wanted to bring that home. That's probably why I wasn't very successful in sports. He wanted to make sure I had the wrong verse written on my shoes. 
No, but, but that's, that's really what's going on here is, is, is there's a foundational, again, steadfastness where you see the power of finding yourself in Jesus, of your life being defined by the death and resurrection of Christ, that final victory, ultimate victory is found in him no matter where you find yourself circumstantially. All right, and I want to affirm, I'm not going to name some names here, but there are people in this room here who have plenty and there are people who are in significant need. Okay, we are right in a place, again, we meet in a school where a lot of people are, are lower income, are, are under-resourced, and then we also live in a, in a community right now where some people have, have a lot. And so this isn't just talking about what, you, what your bank account looks like or where you're at financially or whatever. This is talking about a, that wherever you are, and Paul talks about I've had a lot and I've had nothing. And wherever I'm at, that doesn't define me. Ultimately, the victory of Jesus is, is, it defines my life, defines every circumstance I find myself in, even or perhaps especially while suffering. Okay, this has huge implications today. All right, hear me now, look at me, okay, because we're going to get really practical right now in, in, in like how we live our lives. Okay, because again, we could still be thinking about this as, well, what does this mean? Okay, again, we look at the cross and that only talks about how I have access to God or that's only something I look back on and reflect on, but it doesn't really define um, or, or lead me, okay, direct me in, in my everyday coming and going and how I relate with people and how I present myself. But, but it should. It has a massive implication. Okay, when we say here, often, right, when we say we take God seriously but not ourselves, this is, this is informing that. We look at the cross and we see that. We understand the holiness of God and the fact that we have access to him, right? We don't take that lightly, and yet we take ourselves very lightly, okay? We're okay laughing at ourselves and joking about, you know, when we mess up and this and that. It also means when we say there are no little people and no little places, some people who say that joke about me, all right, but this is really talking about like not just physical stature, though that as well, um, but like, you know, how we, how we relate with people, how we view others, how we view winning, what, what victory really looks like, all right? When we say we do the Lord's work the Lord's way, that means we're challenged to consider how God goes about displaying his strength, his victory, his power. It's usually not the way we would do it, all right? Like, I c we could go back and look at him calling David the youngest, the one who gets made fun of by his own brothers. He's out tending sheep, and they're like, who's with your sheep, David? And he goes out there, and the fact that God chooses him to defeat the giant and to become the first and greatest king over, the, over his people, over Israel, until Jesus, of course, right? The true and perfect and greatest king of all. But he, he, uses G, uh, he uses David, he flexes his muscle, judges, right? We were there. He chooses Gideon, this lowly, and yet as we really dug into it, we see he's not humble. He's really cocky. But still, he, he, God whittles down the numbers to like 300 people to defeat these other armies. He calls Moses, who's trembling and slow of speech, right? He, he calls all these different people, right? Even Paul refers to himself all throughout here as, as, the, as the least of the apostles, as the greatest sinner of all, right? He was overseeing murder. So again, let's consider here for a moment, like God goes about re revealing himself counterintuitively, 
Yet in our culture, that's unheard of, right? That's not the way we present ourselves. That's not the way when we get challenged, right? When someone questions our pedigree or our resume, right? We don't, we don't join them and rejoice in that and say God's strength is made known through my weakness, right? We, we like, no, no, no. You, you know, we like someone punches me once, I punch you twice, right? Like we throw back at them, right? That's so unbiblical, and hear me right now, we need to hear for a moment, that, that's us. That has that is in, in, infiltrated the church as well. Okay, let's read this kind of scathing rebuke, and I'm not pointing the finger here out there, okay? It's coming back here. This is evangelical Christianity as we operate in right now. Let's read this quote by um, Timothy Gombis as he um, wrote a, a little commentary that he reads, or that, that he wrote that I've, I've read. Here's what he says. Contemporary ministry has been hijacked and recast in the image of the professional, the executive, the decisive leader, the chairman of the board who oversees a large budget and plays golf and l- lunches with other influential and powerful people. Many of our churches are comforted by the presence of such pastors since they become an image of power, stability, prestige, and social strength that is familiar to us from our culture. But isn't this a sign that our vision has been corrupted? Yes. We have let worldly values seep in and overpower our sense of being God's people in the world. We have become so conformed to this world that when we begin to conceive of playing roles in the gospel drama of God's triumph, we can only conceive of triumphalist performances. This is so real, right? One friend of mine, a pastor I was talking to, actually, actually agreed with this. I even heard him say it publicly. He was talking about his own image and stuff, and he was like, no, you know, like people need to see up here an, an um, image of what, what it looks like and how they can kind of strive to, uh, to, to really thrive under following Jesus. And, and he was referring to like haircut and clothing and, and style and, and, and weight and fitness and all this stuff. And he's like, that, you know, people need to see up there what, what it looks like, again, outwardly. And, and he was talking about this kind of deal. Man, I, I just, I would say no. Like, we got to resist that. Biblically, I would, Paul would say no. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, he says when I was with you, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and, 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 and my message is only dependent on Jesus and him crucified so that your faith wouldn't be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Right? There's this, this posture. My hope and, and trust is that anyone you see up here on the stage, you see oh, that's what God's strength looks like through weakness. Okay, that the, that the dominant message you hear from this stage would always be, hey, come and follow us as we follow Jesus. As our hope, our identity, our power, our, 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 our resume is only found in him. Amen? So what does this mean for us? How do we live our, how do we really, again, let's keep getting at ground level here. As we wrap up, I want us to embrace this term that this guy actually talks about, and it's, it's kind of a big word here, but if you're taking notes, you can jot it down. It's this, it's, it's, it's cruciformity. Okay, it's this theological word, specifically if you read through the g- 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 
Gospel of Mark, right, which, which we did here. We walked through Mark in a, in a preaching series a while ago, and it, and it said that, that, that Mark is full of cruciformity, which means this. It means the shadow of the cross is cast over the entire book. Okay, that the entire account of Jesus' good news is that he's marching toward the cross and you can't get away from it. That as he flexes his muscle and his power, you can't get away from understanding that he does it through weakness, through humbling himself, through counterintuitively, um, counterculturally revealing God's power and significance by willingly suffering and suffering well. Okay, so the cross is absolutely meant to remind us of the good news that we have access to holy, almighty, righteous God through Jesus' death. And it's also meant to constantly remind us that the shape of the Christian life is to look like the cross. Okay, someone else writes and talks about how the shape of the Christian life should look like a J. Okay, if you picture with me the letter J where you see in Jesus' life and then also in his command for what our lives are to look like, you see constantly his power surrendered and him descending into death. And then through that, him, the power of God being displayed as he resurrects. And then you see in Paul in Philippians chapter two, earlier what we talked about in these other passages, you see this model that not like I'll just, this is so real as you begin to press in, okay, this is a, this is a warning. Okay, as you begin to press into this, God's gonna put this in front of your face. He sure has for me. Just yesterday, I was at Starbucks for like six hours. Like I'm one of those people, right? Buy one cup of coffee and then just keep getting refills, sit there all day. Um, well, I'm in there, and some, I was going to go to the bathroom, right? Drinking coffee all day, almost 40, had to go a lot. And I'm um, waiting there, and I'm about to go to the bathroom, and someone kind of cuts in front of me, walks right in the door, cuts in front of me, and everything in me is like, injustice, entitlement. You, who do you think you are? I was standing here like, you know, did you, menace, did you miss me? You know, and then I get kind of Napoleon complex, right? Of course, I'm like, hey, I'm here. Like, don't walk past me. And I'm having flashbacks to my older brothers kind of shoving me out of the way and getting in the you know, bathroom first or whatever. And all, everything in me is well enough. Like, you can't cut me off, right? This is my lane. This is my traffic, right? This is like all this. And it just shows up everywhere in work and, and all this. So what does it look like for us to embrace the cross. What does it look like for us corporately, all right? As we close here, let's consider as this church, let's consider Christianity in general. As we engage these, you know, so-called, quote, you know, culture wars, does it look like, man, we just got to have more power we got to shame and keep down everyone who, who comes against us, everyone who offends us, everyone who would dare challenge us, right? And this shows up on both sides of the aisle, by the way, right? And, and this idea, playing by the rules of this world that says, I've got to have more power, and, and if when it gets challenged, I just need to get more of it, right? I need, to, I need to keep everyone else down, and God's up there biting his nails saying, I hope my kingdom comes, and these people sure need to, need to be stronger. They need to flex their muscles more, right? They need to offend other people more. They need to, they need to get more, more influence. That's not the model we see scripturally. What does it look like for us as a people, the people of God, to understand that through death, 
the power of the resurrection is made most clear in big ways and in seemingly small ways, laying down our rights. What does it look like individually? What does it look like for you and for me, right? I may mention driving in traffic or whatever else it is. What does it look like in your home? Parents, what does it look like for us to relate with our kids in such a way where we correct them, not saying, how dare you disrespect me? right? I'm going to take out the fact that my boss doesn't respect me right now on you because you have to, right? Well, what does it look like instead to lay down our rights and, 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 and engage them and direct them in the way they should go in such a way that, that, that lays down um, my entitlement for respect and actually thinks, what's going what's gonna to grow them in, in Christ-likeness? How do I lay down my rights right now when someone's in my chair or someone's watching the TV with my remote? You know, what does it look like to lay down my rights uh, uh, for husbands and wives in an argument, in a disagreement? What does it look like? What does it, especially men, I'll just call out right here. We was talking to someone earlier this morning. What does it look like to say, I want, what's, what's best for my family right now? What's best for my wife is it that I am understood and that my point is everyone submits to my truth or what does it look like to humbly be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to anger? All right, what does this look like for us? Well, we look to the cross. Let, let's live our lives. Let's, let's respond now together and individually shaped by the cross of Jesus. Looking there, even now as we respond and we pray and we celebrate, we understand that through Jesus' death, he gave us access to God. And then how does that now inform how we live our lives so that we understand that through suffering in great ways and in seemingly small ways, as we suffer, the power of the resurrection is on display as we lay down our rights for one another God reveals his glory. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us access to your Father. Lord, that you, you didn't consider your rights something to be grasped, but you gave them up willingly for our good. Lord, so that we can boldly and confidently run to God even with unconfessed sin, with, 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 uh, with, with, a, with an unholy posture, with an incorrect posture, with whatever it is, Lord, there's grace and freedom to, to grow and thrive as your children because Jesus laid his life down. Lord, let us not take that for granted. Lord, let us have a higher view of you and let that inform our times of prayer and worship. And Lord, also let that shape how we live our lives in our marriages, with our roommates, in our jobs, as employers, in our relationship, and how we talk to and relate with employees. Lord, whatever it might be, let us live cross-shaped lives. And now we pray through your spirit that we will respond with, with joy and adoration because of the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.